Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Drum roll, please, for the biggest announcement in recent times for Happiness is Egg-Shaped. That's right, we are going live. Where? London Village, at the world-famous Cabbage Patch Pub, for one night only, on Friday the 30th of July. Join me for a live Happiness is podcast with special guests. You'll get all the information on the link below about tickets, and there is a pint of London pride with every ticket. I'll see you there. I am very, very excited. Because happiness is egg-shaped on tour! Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg-Shaped. And today I am under some pressure because I have a pro. I have a podcast superstar on, a commentator, a man who is employed to talk. So he's going to show up the amateur here. It's a man I met through Doddy Weir, who has introduced me to many people. We've never met in person, and I hope that day will come. But we've met on the screen in situations like this, and I am so happy he's been able to find some time and tidy his bedroom because he is crazy, crazy busy. And I am really excited to have the one and the only Mr. Nick Heath joining us. Hello, sir. What an intro. How very kind. Uh, how are you, Bruce? Yeah, I'm very well. And I'm, I'm so happy to have you. It's been trying to put all the bits of the jigsaw together, but I've tracked you down for a bit of your precious time. There we go. Yes, had a quick tidy, put things, but, you know, lines, but had to make it all, you know, 
It was all there already. It's fine. It is funny that we've now, in this period, been able to jump inside people's homes and see what's going on. And I'm impressed with so many people that I never thought we'd read many books seem to have shelves and shelves and shelves of books. Yeah, I ended up just getting hold of that actually when it was uh, when I was starting on work on the Lions tour with Talksport, and actually I, I was just like, I need something where all the stats are, and that book is amazing. So then I was like, that's going to look great behind everything. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it does the job. And you've been really busy during lockdown. You started by doing absolute nonsense that just made people laugh. Talk us through how you got started in that. Yeah, um, it was all a bit all a bit crazy really um it was uh i mean we could see lockdown coming in march 2020 are we um it's it's, it's weird i think for some people it feels like it was five minutes ago and then in, in other ways it could feel like it was about four years ago so i think people are people are, have all got a different take on how the last 18 months has been but um or 15 months whatever it is but um yeah just was out and about decided to rehash an old parody silly voice um of my kind of yeah mickey take commentator um on some people kicking a ball around in the park saw some mothers pushing some push chairs along and and yeah just went for it decided i'd share it online for people that may also be having a week where they're going cool things are not feeling great or looking great um and then yes greg james decided to uh, pick up on it and and put it out on radio one the next day which which then sent it rather viral um and i was i'm, I'm big in canada um but, uh, it seemed to really take off in north america possibly because they were probably just thinking you know i i love this this plummy english guy who does these voices or whatever um so uh so yeah it was absolutely bananas but um it's it it's incredibly still giving it's still paying off what i did and and i've you know i've i've been very lucky with it um I do, you know, I, I, I have subscribed to the to the idiom of, you know, you make your own luck. And so an element of, of decided to put something out there and do something a bit different uh, has definitely opened a few doors that otherwise wouldn't um, and has brought in a few extra revenue streams that otherwise I wouldn't have had. Um, so, yeah, it's been a fairly mental year. The funny thing is, like, my, my social media followings went bananas, but as rugby started returning last august and i started going back to doing games i could just tell they were all they were, you know i think you know my following was about fifteen thousand of, of fairly devoted rugby folk and then it went up to one hundred and twenty-five thousand. um it settled back down a bit but i still think probably sixty thousand of those are people that are waiting for me to do you know, <laughs> a silly clip of some sort and and they don't give a monkeys as to the fixtures being released in the gallagher premiership but um but that's that they chose to follow me, so they'll they'll get everything that I that I'm that I'm across. And you've just just had the TV show come out where you commentate. Is that one of the nice little side effects from the nonsense? Yeah, it certainly is. Yes, the void on ITV. Um, yeah, I got contacted in April last year. Actually, one of the one of the earliest people from a kind of sporty entertainmenty background um i got contacted by a production company that said we're looking to try and make a show for itv an entertainment sort of game show a bit like ninja warrior a bit like the cube kind of bit of skill um and, and a bit of athleticism and um we just need someone to do a voiceover on this three minute reel we've got to that we filmed to to try and sell it to the channel um and then i got a call about yeah, about the end of uh, May, middle of middle of June um, this year, saying, by the way, remember that that voiceover you did for us? We've made our show, and I was like, oh, awesome, 
Um, and uh, and they said ITV want to want to hear a couple of voices proposed that would do the commentary on the games. Um, so we'd like to use you. We'll propose a couple of others and we'll see what happens. Um, and then a few days later, they came back and said, right, you're the man for everyone. We, we, we start we start doing it in the next couple of weeks. I was like, oh, wow. OK, um, so it was weird. It was just at the time as well. It, that came in, that came in the week I had shared on social media the fact that I was going to be doing a couple of England games um, on Channel 4, which was a nice, nice feather in the cap. I've, I've been you know, fortunate enough as my career has grown over the years done plenty of women's internationals, women's Six Nations, men's Six Nations highlights for different clients. I've done international men's games of different competitions. You often do world feed while there's a host broadcaster. So you might be, you know, my mates in Australia might hear me, but people in the UK wouldn't necessarily. Um, so to have got got um, been asked to do the two, two England games against Canada and, for, um, and the USA uh, for Channel 4 recently was just a, a tiny little box that had remained unticked for me, which was, um, you know, a, a home international to to a home UK audience on 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 live telly, so it was lovely to be able to do that. So I was I was very gleefully sharing that on social media and and lots of lovely people saying, "Oh, it's great news, well done," or whatever. And then that afternoon, I got the call about the Channel Four about the ITV uh, show, The Void. I was like, "I can't put this out now because people are just going to go, oh, you can.'" So uh, yeah, it was uh, it's been a pretty mental month, couple of months really. I don't think people would though, because everybody loves Nick Keith. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, but uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a, it's a one man promotion trail when you're uh, when you're self employed. So um, you know there are definitely definitely harder days and tougher days, and uh, I mean, you know everyone has them. But certainly, um, yeah, I think it's nice to shout about when things are going well, and and people have been kind to me over the years, and so it's nice to be able to share that for those people that have been supportive. Um, and yeah, I think I mean if anything, uh, I've said this a couple of times, but one of the things that came off the back of the live commentary series of clips that I did was, you know, I, there were, there were, you know, people contacting me, um, Canadian American housewives. And, and it was kind of like, you know, my, my husband watches the game, but if this is what sport can be like, count me in. And you're, and, and you're a bit like, well, well, actually, why can't it be more fun? Why can't it, why yeah. can't it kind of you know, 100%. Have, have room for more levity and, and that kind of thing. And like, I get, there are people's careers at stake. There's a lot of money in sport, um, and and people are, are putting their bodies on the line, um, and jobs and, and all that. So I, I get that there is there is a you know a, a, a serious element to it. But most people are tuning in to watch their team or or watch any game for a bit of escapism, for a couple of hours of enjoyment and entertainment. And so actually, I think there's plenty of room for there to be be levity in these things. You know, not necessarily to 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 completely. Uh, lose the sense of occasion and the focus on it but it, it's taught me a bit or, or at least it's made me less less apologetic about wanting to have a bit of fun in what i did uh i love it and i totally agree because now studios are full of pundits bbc have got three so itv get four and yeah. they've all got their little toys of here's the space and here's what happens but for most people that tune in they're supporters rather than coaches or players or analysts so I think having that element to it is absolutely needed and you bring that just in your in your personality but that comes from where where you've come from you've had a really interesting journey <laughs> to, to this point you can't possibly have predicted no. this path that, that you found yourself on no not at all um particularly in the last year but uh but no yeah I mean I uh 
I I left school with my my older brother and sister had been to uni, um, so that was the the destination path for me. But I had a wonderful time in my last two years of sixth form at school and didn't work hard enough to get the grades. Um, so I was I was billeted to the University of Central Lancashire in Preston, which is a pretty good university by all accounts these days. But in 1997, I didn't, I, it, it wasn't, um, or it certainly didn't suit me that much. I had, I, had, I had fun up there for a few months getting to know a few uh, crazy Cumbrians and Northerners, and uh, but decided that I, it wasn't quite for me. I, I was heavily involved in, um, in acting, um, performing at sort of the last few years of school and, and at my local theatre. So I decided to run away and join the circus and audition for drama school. In London, which uh, which I did, and then yeah, abandoned uni, went to drama school for three years in Clapham, um, and uh, and then spent yeah seven, eight, nine years working in various different areas, not necessarily on stage, but promotions, agencies, companies, places where you just go and you know play a part, do a role. It might be for a corporate event or whatever it might be, and um, and I was DJing as well, and um, and kind of hosting quizzes and various bits, and and just generally if i could be a jumped up idiot on a microphone then that was the gig for me um so, amen brother amen <laughs> yeah, exactly preaching to the converted here um so uh so yeah so i was doing lots of that my you know some of my fellow acting buddies were were working very hard to be very good and worthy talented actors but they were living on 100 quid a week and and i was not prepared to do that um and but i sort of yeah, it got to a point uh, around 2007-8 when I was just at a bit of a crossroads, wasn't quite sure what the next move was going to be and um, had a bit of an epiphany um, to uh, to try and get into broadcasting, which was actually what I had applied to try and do from school, but didn't get anywhere near the grades. Um, but I knew, I knew I had the ability to do it. I knew I was kind of nausy and interested in it enough that actually, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, but I backed myself to be able to do it. Um, and uh, and so I looked into doing courses, but a lot of them were like, oh, and we'll teach you shorthand and this and that. And I was like, I don't, I, I'm not going to go and apply to be, you know, the, the the lead correspondent at the Times or Telegraph or whatever. You know, I, I want to get into broadcasting. We could see the beginnings of YouTube back then. It feels like YouTube's been around forever, but at, at that point, it was it was very much in its infancy. So. I was like, well, look, I could get myself a DSLR camera. I could start shooting some bits and pieces. Maybe I'll get a podcast out there talking about the sport so that at least there's some history to me being involved in that way. And no one listened to podcasts in 2007 and 2008. Um, but I did one regardless. Um, got in touch with a guy called James at the rugby blog, as was back in the day. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I started doing a podcast then. And uh and then got a call from Simon Ward, who was working on the RFU England podcast at the time. And he said, look, we're, we're, we're doing some interviews next week. I need another pair of hands. Um, I, I like your interview style. So would you consider coming and helping me? I can pay you 50 quid. And I was like, oh, um, I'm going to be paid to speak to England. <laughs> um, and that was where it started. Um, and the commentary was very much my focus. But I also knew that I had to just continue to to develop a, a relationship within within the sport. I understood that actually, you know, if you want access to Ben Foden at the time, for example, well, actually your relationship with the Northampton press officer was more important than necessarily by the time you get to the player. So on your first year or two of being on the scene, you might get the chance to speak to their 22-year-old replacement second row, which you've got no interest in speaking to, but 
you know, you'll go along with it because if the interview's half decent and you put out the content and they can see that you've shown respect to them as a club and to the player, well, then next time they'll say, okay, well, yeah, who do you want this time? And and so I learned I learned the trade kind of that way. And doing a weekly podcast when I thought all I would be doing was I don't know, reading the paper into a microphone or reading off the BBC website was was a fairly steep learning curve, but but incredibly valuable certainly. But you you got the relationship bit early where did that confidence come from was that because you'd done lots of acting that you knew how to go about it and play a part or is that some yeah, of the personal I'm, skills from family life yeah i'd say a little bit more of the latter my my dad is 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 not a shy and retiring type um this this apple has not fallen too far from that trait. <laughs> Um, he was a rugby referee for 25 years, um, and uh, yeah, has often often been life and soul of a party. Um, I'm the youngest of three, uh, and I was I was I was sort of born six years after my middle brother. So um, yeah, I was I was the little golden-haired cherub that basically was going look at me. What, what you know? Why aren't you looking at me if you're not looking at me? Um, so I was just a show off, basically. Um, and uh, so there was there's always kind of been a, a contentedness to be in front of people hence the acting side of it but um yeah I think at that stage it was a chance to I'd also I'd, I'd actually spent quite a few years not that engaged with rugby so I realized like people can turn around to me even now and talk about sort of games it's it, I've sort of got a black period post 2003 where I was sort of just living in London seeing my mates having the time of my life and sort of 2004 to 2007 so no idea what was going on anywhere really um so it's it of, wasn't like, a great period anyway so well yeah I mean certainly certainly I think uh, I remember chatting to someone about the fact that you know when England won the World Cup in 2003 there were an awful lot of sort of you know Chelsea football fans and others that that went oh and we're, we're, we we win a World Cup do we oh we'd better go down to Twickenham and watch England um and then Martin Johnson did such a good job of it and of England being terrible for the for the subsequent few years that I think most of them ripped up their their debenture seat tickets and uh, and went back to went back to supporting football it was a it was an odd way for rugby to make sure that only the diehards stayed in the sport. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah that was uh that was my outlook on that but um but yeah i just i think i thought you know if i can if i can get get to talking about it with the knowledge and understanding of the game that i have i mean i i i then trained as a referee myself to begin with um as i was embarking on the kind of um you know media and broadcast side um and then i realized that i was good to be needed to be attending games at weekends more than I was going to be able to be refereeing them. So it was a fairly short lived career with the whistle. Um, but it was good because, you know, I'd run the line for my dad. I was always interested in the laws. It was good to get up to date with them then to be able to, you know, be on the field myself, um, be in touch with the grassroots side of the game. And then, yeah, started having um, more opportunities to then be in conversation with whatever it might be, yeah, England players, club players, that kind of thing. Um, getting accreditation to go to games and all of that side of things, but, you know, hugely exciting when that first starts to happen and, and you're able to flash your pass and and wander into the to the press box or the, the broadcast gantry at, at Twickenham and go, right, I am here for uh, the Autumn Internationals. It's 2012. Chris Ashton has just romped in one of the greatest scores ever against Australia and the, and the whole place is rocking and I'm here for free um, getting to cover this. I mean, you know, I, I was a, a pig in the proverbial. So, so all those years were were really good, a really good basis for me. And I, I then started to get into the commentary. But I think 
for me it was it was it was about having the confidence and knowing that I knew what I was talking about within the game um, because it had kind of been in the family um, and then also learning some of the technical stuff um, you know I, I remember going to do my first commentary for BBC Surrey when I was up in up in Nottingham um, and uh, I was covering Nottingham Isha on a Friday night didn't leave enough time for the traffic got there late uh, players were I was meant to be getting a, a replacement player to come and join me to do the game. Um, I was nervously setting up a Glen sound box, which is what you plug all the commentary mics and headphones into. Had never done it before. I'd been shown in the studio, but all of a sudden I'm like, the game kicks off in 20 minutes and I'm not ready. Um, so I'm trying to put all of that together. And then I'm shouting down. I'm like, oh, sorry, I think um, I was told I was getting an injured player. They were like, no, we haven't actually got anyone for you. Sorry. I was like, oh, good. I'm now doing this whole game on my own. Um, and, uh, and then I basically started the game. I'm about a minute into it after kickoff, um, and uh, and a chap comes up the stairs and he spots the empty headset and uh, microphone next to me and just points to it. And I'm like, while I'm talking, trying to gesture him in. And he walks in, puts his um, BBC pass down, and it was a guy called Dominic Busby. Um, and uh, and he just sat down. So then, sort of next stoppage, I was just like, and, uh, and of course, with us this evening is uh, Dominic Busby. How are you, Dominic? So that people listening, they're like, oh, it's, he's obviously been there the whole time. His summarizer, and I was. We got to half time. I pulled off my headphones, and I was like, hi, Nick Heath. Um, <laughs> it was it was absolutely bananas. Um, and uh, yeah, Dom was amazing to me that day. Unfortunately, he uh, he very sadly passed away recently. He's uh, he and, and listening to the tributes um, around and about, it seems he was the man of sport in, in cricket and rugby and was all over every sort of regional BBC station over his career. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a sad loss for him recently. But I, I feel very privileged that I've got a lovely little story of when he came to my aid right at the start of my career to, uh, yeah, to be able to remember him by. But those are those people help to just that little moment or that big moment as it probably was for you mm. has stuck with you. So you then building relationships with other people that's a great model to follow even though you didn't know him and he wasn't necessarily someone that you know you were in awe but him giving you that allows you then to pass that on would you agree yeah i think so and i think it's about asking questions of people sometimes as well that, that they may not have asked themselves i've i've had you know young journalists young guys leaving leaving colleges or doing journalism degrees over the years message me and go hi i want to do what you did how do i do that um or i want to be i want to get into journalism where do you suggest i start and actually you know that you can't really answer those questions because what you have to then do is just turn them back to that person and say well what area of journalism what excites you what do you want to do do you want to be speaking on radio do you want to be writing the lead column for the guardian do you want to be on tv do you want to be reporting you know there are so many areas and so many threads and <clears throat> i was fairly you know I, I knew that i wanted to commentate but actually when i first started out i was doing bits of you know i was doing a podcast for two years um i was taking my camera and going and filming interviews with players and at that stage clubs didn't really they were very slowly embracing of, of social media twitter to begin with um they knew they should be producing video bits but they didn't you know it was they had one media manager who was looking after writing the the um the program every week uh getting the team news out doing doing any of the interviews putting it on the website you know they, they these people have 
who have been you know chronically underpaid and overworked historically as a role in most rugby clubs if you ever see a media manager in a rugby club just say thanks um they'll appreciate it um and uh and so i was able to turn up to a few people and just say well i could film this and give it to you if you want and like, that'd be amazing um and so i started doing that and then charging people for it and, and different clients online as well i ended up providing video to espn scrum for a good few years from rugby world cup 2011 and and these kind of things where you're like well actually if i can do a bit for you and a little bit for you and a little bit for you then the sort of the grand total of it all means that i can i can pull together enough revenue to go and cover this tournament or or that competition whatever it might be um so all those kind of learnings um as i was growing growing through the industry um i think have been invaluable in terms of being able to help others and go well you know there are different ways you can do it the, the main thing these days is if you want to do it you just start doing it you know it, it's you've, you've got a microphone in your smartphone and you've got a camera there that's now bigger hd than the one in the bloody bbc news studio um so you know get, get out there start writing start doing it put it on a platform put it on a blog whatever it might be um and uh yeah i mean i think as i was going through it confused the hell out of people who I was and what I was doing because I, I managed to stumble across the sort of company name Rugby Media, which is what I sort of still operate under. But um, and I was very pleased with that. I was like, OK, well, it's, I'll be covering rugby and from a media side and, and various types of media. So that's good. But I know that people were like, oh, have you met Nick Heath? Yeah, he's that. Well, he's sort of I mean, he was announcing at London Scottish last week, but I think he does a sort of video. Yeah, well, he does a podcast, doesn't he? Yeah, no, I and mean, he was hosting the thing from O2. I don't know what he does, but he's just everywhere. Um, and, but I, I was kind of quite worried in the uh, in in those years because I was like, well, it's good for me to to have a finger in a lot of pies to help you know keep the rent paid. I, it's not defining me as a broadcaster. If you're a writer, you start off at, at a paper as an underling and you work your way through and you become correspondent. And then, you know, there's a there's a path for you when people see that path. It's very traditional and promotions are celebrated and, and you know, your your progress um, is tracked. Whereas, you know, what I the way I've come through has been um, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit everywhere. So um, by the time it gets to a producer phoning and going, Hello, we'd like you to do England's two internationals in the summer on Channel Four. You go, you know, that is a clearly defined role, and people will know exactly, you know, what I what I can do and where I can do it, and and that's a nice element of recognition. Even if there'll be plenty of people that go, oh God, it's not this bloke, is it? <laughs> Drum roll, please, for the biggest announcement in recent times for happiness is egg shaped. That's right, we are going live. Where? London Village at the world famous Cabbage Patch Pub for one night only on Friday the 30th of July. Join me for a live Happinesses podcast with special guests. You'll get all the information on the link below about tickets and there is a pint of London pride with every ticket. I'll see you there. I am very, very excited because... Happiness is egg-shaped on tour! I don't think there's many people that do that. I love, <laughs> I love hearing this because I'm a, I'm a school teacher. Um, I've worked in schools for however long and, and worked in the pastoral area. And we that tends to mean careers, tends to mean university, tends to mean what you're going to do. And I think only recently, I don't know, maybe the last five years, the language that I use to kids is similar to what you've just said there, if you're passionate about it. 
So if you're passionate about it, you'll put time and energy into it. You'll enjoy doing it. If you enjoy doing it, you'll get better. If you get better, then it might end up being your job. You might never drive a big car or have a big house, but you'll like what you do. Mm. You strike me as someone who likes what they do, but I'm also interested in, did you do lots of things because you weren't necessarily a name, so you had to build your reputation by saying yes to things? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I think part of it is, you know, I think one of the things that, I, or one of the truths I think that I'm sort of coming to terms with, which isn't an easy one for anyone who's younger, I think, to possibly get their head around. But, you know, in my, in my what was it, late 20s, early 30s, when I was kind of getting into the rugby side of it, I... I worked out that there are, you know, PR or marketing agencies that look after the Guinness or RBS or major sponsor, and they've got some cash and they're sponsoring a league, but ultimately they also need to be activating their sponsorship. They need to be putting stuff out there. So I was trying to contact these agencies and going, you've got some money and I'm in rugby and all of these clubs trust me. So how about I go in and request to speak to these players and then you can have it from me. Everyone's a winner and you pay me some money, please. Um, and some of these sort of agencies were like, yep, sounds good to us. But a lot were like, who are you? And I couldn't even get to speak to the right person. And um, a lot of a lot of people I know back then who were of a similar point in my career within these kind of ad agencies, creative agencies, sponsorship agency, agencies, they've all gone through their careers at the same point I have. So now 10, 15 years later, uh, a lot of them are, you know, account directors running things and, and they know how long I've been in the industry. And so as a peer group going through the going through the game or the, the peripherals of the game and everything that goes with it, um, I think you sort of graduate to a point where actually you're very well connected. And, and I think as much as I was hungry to be in and, and part of certain things and have people understand who I was and what my reputation was that I was trying to build, it was some of that was just going to take a natural amount of time and that's that's quite hard to hear i think if i was if i was yeah. telling that to myself at the age of 28 29 it's just like well some of it might come off keep trying but it's going to be a lot easier when you're 38 39 40 you know um because by that point people have known you for 10 years and you know call it old boys network um i think but it's ultimately about people just knowing who you are what you do so I can get contacted by a friend of mine at an agency and go, we've got an event, we need someone to host it. It's right up your street. You'll be exactly what we need. I don't need to lose sleep over this. We'll send you the brief the day before. We'll see you at 10 o'clock. Fine, done. Um, and that side of things is lovely to be to be at. It's nice to be at that point. But yeah, there were many, many years of definitely feeling I had to prove myself and and being in in scenarios where, uh, you know, you've got, you've got, X or Y rugby personality who is sort of meant to be the, the the focus of the day or whatever you're involved with and they've shaken your hand and looked over your shoulder for someone more interesting walking into the room and there there are, there are, there are a few of those in the game and, and you'll, yeah. you'll have your own short list of who you think they are and I'll have mine but yeah but uh, you know I, I also thought quite quickly thought well I'm not going to lose any sleep over these people it, I, I definitely said to myself very early on and, and maybe someone even said it to me um no, don't ever expect or or want any of these sports people that you're spending a lot of time with that that are many people's heroes and idols to be your mates 
because their mates are on the rugby field, their friends and family are their mates, you're someone they often meet through a, a work environment because that's what professional sport is for, for you know most people. Um, now, over the years, I've, I've ended up becoming close enough to some players that have definitely become friends, uh, but there are still some that I see very, you know, Macy regularly have known for 10, 12 years, but I wouldn't say we're mates at all. We're just capable of going, hey, how are you? Yeah, good, you, great, okay. So the game this weekend, you know, and 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 that's all you're going to get, and that's fine too, because I think I think going into it with the idea of I can't wait to meet my heroes and, and make them my friends is a really foolish way of going about it. It's like when I was at drama school and they they came around the group and said, okay, so why are you here? And for me, the very clear answer was to try and be the best actor I can be, to to work on my voice work, my physical work, you know, everything I can do to make me as best as I can possibly be to give my career the best chance. And about three of the people in the room out of 20 of us just went to be famous. <laughs> it was like, yeah. it was like, oh, I think I think the course director is about to take you out and line you up against the wall and shoot you. Like, is that why you're here? Really? Um, so, you know, one might begat the other if you're good enough at what you do. But yeah. if, that, if that's your sole aim, you're an idiot. Um, and, and I think in a parallel world within rugby, you know, if your aim is is to get into it because you want to become best mates with Doddy Weir. Well, that's not why you do it. You get into it and do good things and earn a reputation. And then people, you know, call on you to do things and you go and you have moments that I do, you know, regularly where you turn around and go, this is cool. This yeah. is, this is pretty magic. People would give their eye teeth to be here. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I, I can barely remember the question, but I've rambled. That's okay. I absolutely loved it. And I remember <laughs> being, being a very young teacher and my heart broke when a girl in my tutor group uh, told me that she wanted to marry a footballer. So at 15, her ambition was to be a footballer's wife. And uh, mm. she was she was sporty. She was doing well academically. She had friends. She had, and it, I, I've seldom yeah. speak seldom speechless. But that I'll never forget that girl. I could I could paint you a picture of that moment because it's stuck in here and you're right there are so many people who what do you want to be when you're older famous but they don't know what for yeah they, they don't know in, in what thing they're going to do to give them that end outcome of fame who who have you been with you say those pinch yourself moment where were you and who were you with when you had a moment where you thought I, this this is me i can't believe i've yeah. made it here um that's an interesting question it's a good one um I think the first one that just came into mind when you said that actually, which you know, it was um, I commentated on a women's international where Emily Scarrett and, and Mo Hunt were injured. And so the two of them were on co-commentary with me um, and we were in vision from the top of the show and we were having a chat and they even gave Mo a little device to do some analy analysis on. And um, But I just before the show i'd had enough of a relationship with those two that we knew we were going to have fun with it and enjoy being together um they were also massive you know massive women's international players um still are obviously um and uh yeah i had one of those definitely then because i just thought the you know there are hundreds of girls at this or thousands of girls at this game that would love to be getting their autograph or talking to these two and and i'm about to you know prat about with them for two hours having having a, a good, good good having a good time um doing doing a game that should really deliver um and uh, i think it was england canada maybe was it um and uh, and yeah it was that that was one of those because although 
we had started to become mates, I also was felt 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 pretty uh, pretty honoured to be their mates in that sort of environment and to be working with the two of them who were who were so good. But um, I'm trying to think of of others. Um, please, please put that on your website. What, what what job do you do? A prat about for a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is generally generally how I look at it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and, and actually talking about even even that. That autumn international series 2012 i think was was massive that was i'd, I'd been i'd been an accredited journalist attending twickenham for a couple of years by that point and so i knew the score i knew what was going on i was doing some reports um for uh, talking rugby an agency that was that was going to twickenham and, and and sending radio reports to various radio stations at the time and, and you would literally sit there with a call list from let's say the game was kicking off at three o'clock from 2.40 and you'd do a preview, 30 second preview to LBC. Then you'd hang up and you'd do a 30 second preview to BBC London. Then you'd hang up, you'd do a 30 second preview to TalkSport. And you'd do about six or seven stations over the course of 20 minutes. And then the game would start. And after about 10 minutes into the game, you'd then start doing first half updates to all those stations. Because it made, you know, they had the, the business plan idea, which was quite sound, was, well, if we can get some revenue from all of these stations that can't afford to send their own reporter to the game, then they're getting what they want. But collective revenue works for us as a service. So it was it was a, a, a good idea. And, and and the guys at Talking Rugby brought me on to do that. And, and I did that for many years. And but actually being able to do that while sitting there watching you know, England beat New Zealand, um, and uh, and Chris Ashton's length of the field score, and and all that kind of stuff is 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 just sort of it's boys' own stuff. It's what dreams are made of to be, to be sitting there. And I think at that stage, that was probably the last time I still felt a certain level of fandom with England, and 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 sort of a little bit, you know, oh my God, I can't, you know, can't believe this. And and I was nervous and sort of shaking and the adrenaline of of actually being there to watch the performance and of of the team. Um, and I don't have that anymore, really. It's interesting. It's my my kind of loyalty has has waned on 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 most fronts. Um, I think. The work I've work I've done with with Harlequins meant I was pretty chuffed to see them lift the Premiership title recently, particularly playing the sort of rugby they did. I think a lot of people were behind them, but but yeah, it's interesting. I'm 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 sort of I'm I'm quite impartial these days. I can I can want certain players that I've got good relationships with to to have their moments in the sun and, and believe that they would deserve them. Um, but then there are other moments when Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I think, yeah, I'm not entirely behind your team and your culture at the minute. So if it doesn't work out for you, oops. Um. <laughs> there's, there's something nice, though. I, I, 
I hear what you're saying. Being at Murrayfield still massively excites me. But there are things about it that are not new anymore. But there's something really nice about that comfortable feeling of a, mm. I know that I know the score. I know that I can do this. I know like the relationships. I know that I can have a chat to that person. I know that you know I can grab a coffee from there. I, you know, knowing those little little uh, those little dodges are nice, aren't they? And yeah, and just probably some of that comes. I don't know if you agree, but probably from my own insecurity that I've now gone through maybe the initiation that I can feel comfortable in my skin in the situation that I'm in. Is that something you'd relate to? Yeah, I think, I think a little, um, I certainly, you know, the privilege side of it never, never passes me by. Um, and I think, you know, I was lucky enough to be going to Twickenham when my dad would take me as a kid and someone, someone else will answer that. Um, uh, yeah, I used to go to, to Twickenham loads. And so, yeah, that, that privilege has, has never really, never really gone and I, and I don't think it ever should and you know same for you at, at Murrayfield and actually I, I shame to say I only managed to make my bow at Murrayfield for the first time um, for the Japan game uh, recently and I got to stand you know they, they actually weren't allowing access into the media room but I got to stand and take a picture, <laughs> take a picture of the of the Bill McLaren media room and, and he is you know he's part of the reason I do what I do just out of shot one of his big sheets is hanging on the wall up there yeah mine's here the the only the only big sheet I feature on, I oh, have really? a copy of. Yeah, I only featured on one, and I've got the copy of it, and it is absolute pride of place. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, so I've got the uh, the 1999 Cup final, World Cup final. A friend of mine, I think, has bought another one for me. But anyway, um, the most interesting thing for me, which almost broke my heart momentarily, on those, by the way, for anyone that doesn't know, is that you know the the lovely lines of they'll be dancing in the streets of sydney and brisbane and whatever they're all there they're all written they're all prepared and and that is 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 you know absolute testament to the fact that um the the best bits that you want are done through preparation and and, and working out where you want where you need to be at the right time um it you know he he sounded the greatest because he was able to make it sound like it was on the spur of the moment but anyway i've digressed to my have, have you have you been to hoik uh, no, I haven't yet. That's right. Definitely- the next time you come to Murrayfield, let's go to Hoyk. We'll go to the Bill McLaren bus. You'll see Wilton Park, where he coached for many, many years. I'll take you on a tour of Hoyk. Oh, I look forward to that. That would be magic. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, um, going back to your question, I mean, the, the sort of sense of insecurity. I don't. I don't know that I necessarily would would have would have had that. Um, I think. I don't know whether there's a certain arrogance of having been to Twickenham so many times as a kid that by the time I was in, allowed into its kind of you know in, inner workings that I was like yes well this feels like the natural progression of where I've been before um, I don't know but there's there's there is something uh, I still feel yeah I, I still I still love the fact that I'm privileged enough to be there and that I know the sort of inner workings of a lot of it. Um, I, I struggle now, I think, to actually be a fan at somewhere like Twickenham, um, which shows probably how far that relationship has gone. Um, the sort of queuing up and, and drinking five, six pints over the course of a, of a game um, and just cheering on from the stands or whatever just seems a little alien to me these days. And, and probably because, um, and this is one thing that I actually am I'm, I'm, I'm sort of having a few chats with uh, people, for example, at at the RFU is what is the fan experience like? Because 
if I'm sat in the stands from a media perspective, I'm connected to the referee. I've got different, you know, I've got everything going on and I know exactly what's happening. Whereas fans these days, you know, you can get a reflink radio, but certainly the one at Twickenham is the same as it was about 25 years ago. And it's it's terrible. Um, and you can only just about get the referee, but you can't get any of the commentary. You're, so you're quite detached, weirdly, sitting 70 metres from the pitch. Um, so anyway, I've, I've sidetracked on something else. But I think the fan experience in a lot of these stadia could be improved to bring them into the game. Um, I think some people talk about the NFL referee style being broadcast around the stadium, and yeah, maybe there's time for that. But I think, I think, but then I guess the other side of the argument is people are really happy to be there and to be having a wonderful day. But part of it is also being sat in the stands, chatting the hind legs off their mate about what's gone on over the last couple of weeks, and and the game is almost a sort of small part of that because it's about the, about the social occasion as much as anything else. So. I'm not going to suddenly make people have to have to get into the, the nauseating detail of a rugby game if actually that that's only 20% of the reason they're there. And you, you're still playing, you still go and play touch, so you're still in contact with the grassroots. How much stick do you get for things you've said or commentaries you've given, or does it not matter, you're just there to play touch? Uh, yeah, more the latter. Interestingly, it's more the grief I get from people on the on the journalism and media side that are just like, oh, you still think you're a player, do you? You're playing touch. It's nothing. Um, I'd I'd love I'd love to I'd love them to put some boots on and try a game of touch and see how long they last. To be honest, but um, yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I find it. Um, I actually find it really useful. Um, and uh, I I played to a decent level a few years ago, and the journey into doing that. And the amount of time it took, bearing in mind the coaches were laying down S and C and excuse me, diet plans for us and various things. And we had um monthly uh, training camps and various things. And you know, it was it was it took over my life for a good sort of six to nine months. And as a window into the amateur game and particularly where the women's game has been at, um, I was able to to really kind of identify with it. And and by the time I I sort of played in the tournament and I ended up meeting up with a couple of the England girls and, and I was just like, God, it's, I said, it's unbelievable. I've got a real insight into how much time it takes, how you have to balance everything, the sacrifices you make, because I haven't seen any of my mates. I've not been to a birthday or a wedding this summer. I've, I've been having to do training and all sorts. Um, and, uh, and I think Emily Scarrett around to me and just went, no, 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 not, not sacrifices. It's choices. Quite right, quite right, Emily. And I just went, are you media training me? Is that what I should be saying? She was like, yep, absolutely. That's what you have to say. It's choices. It's not a sacrifice. No one's making you do it. I was like, oh, okay, very good. Um, so, uh, but I, I do think that definitely meant that my uh, empathy towards commentaries on on the women's game, particularly, and um, subsequently was was influenced by by having had that experience of playing um and also just knowing what my body feels like or has felt like for the last two days when i played a high level comp for the first time on sunday for the first time in ages and i feel like i've been hit by a car um so you know i'm no spring chicken but even so the idea of actually that's how most professional rugby players feel on a, on a sunday monday anyway um and they do it week in week out and that toll on the body particularly on the last year that we've had where i think you know things resumed beginning of july um, in terms of the pre-season, the three-week pre-season they had out of lockdown, then a lot of rugby resumed in October, then there was, what, a three-week off-season for most, certainly in the Premiership, and then back in. So I think most of the players are feeling like 
you know they've had a, they've had a season that that has gone for a full on year and and if you're in a, if you're in a Lions squad it's still going um so that's that's hard that's hard to take and and actually I think if you can if you're therefore aware of that as a writer or a broadcaster someone working within the game then then actually it's it's nice to be able to identify with that and 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 show that that empathy with players um because it just it helps you understand that these are human beings and people that are that are doing this that that empathy thing hits home with me. I was really frustrated by some of the nonsense on social media off the back of the the women's Six Nations because Scotland took pelters for all sorts of things with people who don't know how to judge it because they don't have that insight like like you have. Um, what level some of the players are at? Some of them are at work. Some you know those. Mm -hmm those life choices that they're having to make you've been a real champion of the women's game how and how and why did that come around um i uh i got an opportunity to work on it quite early on um 2010 i think um but my sister had played um and my cousin emily had played and uh they actually had a game while my sister was playing for blackheath and my cousin was playing for marlow um, they played against each other and my dad refereed it, which was quite hilarious as a family occasion. Um, and there is footage of me from about 1994 behind my dad's video camera filming it from the touchline. And I'm even I'm even in my sort of quite posh home counties voice going, and there goes Emily and she's running up. The... And I'm like, I'm like, does this mean I can technically say I've been commentating on women's rugby since 1994? <laughs> can we go with that? Um, so, uh, but yeah, so there's, there, there was that. And I, I just, I don't know, I think when I first got given the opportunity, I thought, well, there's, these people are obviously working as hard as they can within their world for that shirt. There is a competition for places. Is there as big a player base as the men's, which forces the competition and the standard to be absolutely at its peak? No, it's probably not as high. It's the same as playing for England at touch, which I've managed to do, which makes people go, can't be that hard then, can it? But, you know, so there's it, but it can't not be what it is. That's just the reality of where things are. And and so are the people that are that are competing and playing for those spots working the hardest they possibly can? Yeah. Or at least the hardest they know to work. And as the game gets bigger and harder and 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 more professional. That a lot of these players over the last five years have probably gone blimey I didn't know I could work even harder than I used to but I'm but I'm having to and and all that kind of stuff so I just always felt that because you know in a lot of areas the skill level didn't seem as good and sometimes now still isn't I'm, I'm happy to say and I, I know that a lot of the players would agree with me still um then it was it was easily dismissed and and I was very keen to to sort of show whenever I covered it that it was still okay to be fair. It was okay to say that was absolutely brilliant, but that was terrible. And and they'll be really disappointed with that because they know they're better than that. And I would have players come up to me, you know, a week or two after games and say, by the way, thank you. It's the first, you know, you've been honest. And a lot of people are either patronizing or they they look the other way if something was crap. And and so actually it, it was really important to me to be real about it. But also at the same time to have that bit of sympathy with the fact that this game is not being terribly well supported. It's not got much money in it. It hasn't got much sponsorship behind it. And and there is that, you know, build it and they will come argument, chicken and egg. Well, you know, when's it good enough to invest the money in or when do we put the money in to make it good enough argument? 
and I think it's it's still a bit of both. Um, I think unions need to understand that it's not cost, it's investment. You invest in the women's game, more grassroots women will pick up their boots and play. Who knows? A a you know young mother at, at thirty five um, who's got an eight year old daughter who they're going to start going down the club and she decides she's going to get a pair of boots and play in the in the women's team while the daughter's playing. Well, actually, the son and the husband might go. Do you know what? We should we should be playing this as well. The women's game and the growth of that is only going to cyclically bring more men back into the game, in my view. So the idea that it's kind of seen as a cost to put into that side of it, grassroots, for me, is absurd. You know, the rugby has got to a point where the amateur men's game has been going backwards in this country because of, you know, crumbling clubhouses and lack of investment. And I think there is a there is a there is growth in the game and it's in the women's game. So let's make the absolute most of that. Um, and the skill set and the standard in a lot of areas is now going through the roof. And yes, you will still have games where the standard is not great. But it's changing, and it's changing super fast, um, and and it's on its way. And I just, yeah, I'm a I'm a massive believer. And sometimes games fail to deliver. You know, the the France England Six Nations decider wasn't that great in my view, and we'd all spent the previous week hyping it up, and we were like, if you're in, if you're into women's rugby, you should watch this. It's gonna be good. oh god, it was fairly exciting. <laughs> And but the amount of men's games that do that, yeah. Similarly, oh, it was a tight, well, it was a tight sort of cup finally sort of game. It didn't really deliver. Well, how often do we say that? So um, yeah, I think people can get off their back. People can get off the back of people championing it because it has to be championed for people to start seeing it, for them to see the skill level, for them to see that it's worth investment and 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 telling people about. Are we turning around to people and saying, you know, this 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 England Wales game is going to be as good as South Africa against New Zealand in the rugby championship? Well, no, of course it's not. But look at these girls ben- belt seven bells out of each other because of how much it means to them. It's great rugby. You know? um, it might be slightly different, but it's still it's still worthwhile, and the, and the work that the athletes are putting in is no less. And I think that's the respect that a lot of people uh, fail to give them is that is is the idea that they're doing anything less, or that it's an easier ride for them to be playing for their club or country. And it's just simply not the case. So, um, so I think that's why. And I don't I don't know whether as an LGBT broadcaster, there's a sort of fighting alongside the other minority side of it that I that I do as an ally, maybe. It, it might be partly that. I've sort of reflected on that over the last few years. Um, and, and yeah, equality is hugely important to me. So the idea that, that and it's always the way you'll know this, Bruce, from 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 the darker sides of social media. It's the people that probably haven't watched it or don't know anything about it that are shouting the loudest about how rubbish it might be. And that yeah. just doesn't make any sense. And you're best not giving it any airtime to those sort of people. Um, but um, but they can often be the voices that shout the loudest. So you just yeah kind of have to find a way of, of shouting even louder. But um, yeah, life isn't all about social media, thank goodness, because otherwise it wouldn't be a terribly fun place. But that's... Well. But you you do it well. You do social media well, and I I think the women's game does social media well. I think it's been really positive during lockdown of eighteen months. I think the women's social media and the accessibility, like Rachel Burford, Rocky Clark, Tamara Taylor, mm. uh, Rona Law. I think a lot of these role models have really found. A, I don't know if they found a gap or if there was just more time or what it was. But how how important is it? Do you think? for these people to tell their stories yeah massively because the where where the amateur men's game came from was 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 through you know great stories and and players being vets or doctors or raf pilots or 
you know, bin men, whatever it might be. These these people had jobs and careers, and it it, it they fed into into how they were doing what they were doing, the support they got from family, and all this kind of thing. And and we will slowly lose a bit of that as the women's games get women's game gets professional um, yep. over the next few years. But there are an awful lot of stories to be told um, and characters to find. Shauna Brown, for example, has you know got a great story of, of coming to rugby relatively late. She was caber tossing in the Highlands and and powerlifting and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And then she you know was on the back row. And then they said, no, we're going to make you into a prop for England. And she was like, oh, I don't know the first thing about a scrum and she'll probably tell you she still doesn't but um but what an athlete what an incredible player and and yeah the likes of Rachel Burford who does so much for the next generation with the girls rugby club and, and the work that's being done there um and yeah and and you know representation for GB7s those those girls that are, that are going out to Tokyo to do all that um there's there's an awful lot of role model work that that these players do um, and I see it when I'm at a game and there's a clutch of, of seven, eight year old girls around me desperate to get, you know, Emily Scarrett's signature or or Rocky Clark and, and these sort of players. And, and that's so cool. And, and, and it's it's providing for me the right type of role modelism, um, for want of an expression, um, because, you know, I've got a niece and nephew who are in their teens and I cannot fathom what an Instagram teenage life must be. I mean, how on, earth, how, on earth, how on earth? Yeah, how on earth you decide what your body image is going to be, or how to ignore it, or how to, you know, it's it, it's it absolutely the mind boggles. I would have made so many mistakes. There'd be, <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be so much of my past that's out there and not able to reclaim that I would be so crestfallen about. So thank God camera phones weren't around during my yeah. teenage years. And all that Amen. Amen. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So I think the more that these athletes can show look let's put the phone down let's go over here and run around and whether you're you know fat thin tall short whatever it is rugby's still a game for you at, at, at this level um and uh, and you can you can play a part and i think that's that still at the end of the day is one of the one of the key things about the sport yes there's a homogeneity to the players at the top end they are all a certain size and, and weight and whatever but the grassroots game hasn't changed um and and i think you know someone said to me why do you think rugby is is better at its inclusivity whether that's lgbt or, or women's side generally and i was like well because historically people come to the game from all sorts of backgrounds with you know all sorts of physical attributes but there is a role for them to play within the team and so if you needed the 18 stone bloke to burrow over from four meters away to score the winning try he's as deserving of the beers in the bar at the end of the game than the five foot eight nippy little scrum half that scored the game's opening try and and the two of them are equal to to you know to whatever the team have put forward and and no one cares about who they are or what they do off the field but in their own way, they've contributed exactly the same way to a team on it. And I think there's there's an element, therefore, of, of accepting people for every, everything that they bring. Um, and that probably is, is, a, is, a, is a bit of a reason why, why the sport has been pretty accepting. It's got work to do, obviously. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's a big part of it for me from, from women's game and, and right throughout the sport. So have you been lucky? Because I've, I've read and I've heard you talk about you've never experienced anything other than than a pretty happy time within the game because of those reasons you've already given have you just have you just been lucky or or do you feel that that is not necessarily a majority but 
lots of people are able to to enjoy that i think it's a bit of both i think i have been relatively lucky um i think i've chosen the points at which to talk and and get get things out there you know there are, i i think probably the the most negative things i ever get is yes all right we get it you're a gay broadcaster do you have to keep going on about it or you know it shouldn't matter that kind of argument and and i I, i've got i I understand that but while while there are things going on in in plenty of places and countries and and you know uefa's stance on stuff with the football and various other bits and you just think it's really not hard to just you know keep reminding people that who you love is irrelevant to everything else in life and 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 you know i i i could i could go to my soapbox for a long a long time about it politically nationally and everything else but um but sports wise within the game i think um again it's stories hearing from people and understanding what they've been through um it's you know it's still mad in one sense that the there will still be a frisson a story or something within probably the the first couple of guys that may come out in a male professional currently still playing environment i think hopefully we can create enough of an environment within the the men's game that actually it will be the next generation it'll be a 17 18 19 year old in an academy who's a damn good player and everyone knows that he's bisexual or gay or whatever and and then he will just be then a professionally contracted player and there won't be any coming out there won't be any reveal story um there are so many gay women in the game as well that just doesn't seem to be a story so there's a real double standard in terms of what the media decide you know and that's clearly down to some probably in my view some perception of uh i don't know masculinity or or, or something you know who knows um but yeah i feel i feel like i've been i've been pretty lucky and there are moments when i feel that i'm you know i have a, a bit of a platform that i will feel it's a, it's a it's a time to say something um with uh with our lovely friend israel falau in the moments he decides to <laughs> yeah to share his religious beliefs i've got no problem with anyone having religious beliefs that's absolutely fine and i'm also not going about the argument that people used to give to gay people like i don't mind who you sleep with i just don't need you to, to shout about it and, and ram, it, ram it down my throat i get that too I, you know i'm not making that argument but i also think that it's important to not be actively putting things out there that could be having direct harm to young people and so you know if 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 you realize that a couple of the things that you believe in are quite inflammatory and could cause harm to people maybe have the nous not to put those people in harm's way but if you're going to throw caution to that and just start spouting stuff and putting stuff on social media that could make some 14 year old kid in Wollongong in Australia you know decide that actually if his hero can't cope with him and thinks he's a sinner for just something that's natural uh and 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 you know finds himself hanging hanging from the the garage fittings on one one monday afternoon because of what something israel falau said that you know the 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 idea of it is absurd so i think people in in those sort of situations have to be very very careful of what they say and i don't frankly i don't think he's the sharpest tool to realize what he's saying half the time so so it's best being silenced as often as possible that's my personal view and um, and you are well entitled to be you're a champion and you're you're enthusiastic and you're the way you go about things is so positive and that that must bring you some positive back the way have there been moments where you've been really surprised with the way you've been received somewhere or the offer that you've had 
purely off the back of they just think this is a good guy? Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, constantly because I, I, I think I still have a like a lot of people. There's a touch of imposter syndrome, and and you know, am I good enough? Um, I even doing the recent Channel Four games. I thought, well, is this the point at which you go, ah, I got here, I did it? You know, well, no, obviously not because I want to be doing England, New Zealand in a World Cup final, or you know, whatever it might be, and and so my my climate but I've, I've, I've a total feeling that actually if i ever got to do that i probably wouldn't feel like i was there yet you know and i think that's what a lot of people say so i'm trying to have more recognition of of the of just the here and now being ever present it sounds like a very mindfulness thing to say but i think it's important for mental health and those kind of things because if you're going to obsess one afternoon about things not feeling great well you need to make the most of the morning that they they were pretty good and and i think that's important to do um I, it's interesting. I kind of, it's one of those. I've, I, I'm, I'm happy that I'm a, I'm a good person, and that, and that my, my, my morals and, and aims are right in terms of wanting people to feel included, to respect other people. Um, I, I think as soon as I, I come across people that don't show those qualities, I'm not very patient with them, and I could probably be better there, um, and, uh, and I can be pretty dismissive of people whose characters I've decided are not, are not fit for purpose, <laughs> um, but always happen to be proven wrong. Um, and, and, then I, and then I think it's, yeah, it's for me, whether it's kind of speaking to people in interviews, covering rugby matches, broadcasting, I think it's about giving everyone a fair crack of the whip as, as much as possible. Um, and therefore, I just hope that that I get I get the same back, I guess. Um, and there are people, you know, there's a there's a producer as part of one area of broadcasting that I know I'm not his cup of tea. And there's a there's a whole batch of work I could do over over on that side of, of rugby that I'm probably not going to get to do. But that's fine. You know, that's that's personal preference. That's the way it goes. Um, I'm getting the call to do some gigs that I know other peers of mine would be like, ah, Nick Heath got that one again. Damn it! You know, I, I know, I know that that's happening as well. I'm sure it is because of how I feel when I see some other people get work. But um, I made a kind of agreement to myself. Um, 2019. Tom May has a lot to answer for um, because I was. Uh, well, I've done various bits with Tom over the years, and, and he's a good guy. And uh, and I was, I was sort of saying, oh, I saw that Sanso got that gig, and that would have been cool. And he was like, you commentators, you're all a nightmare. And I was just like, what? Um, and I was just like, you, you guys do the co-coms are the same. And he was like, no. He's like, all of you are just at each other's backs and just like, oh, well, I saw they got that and I should have got that. And I thought, I don't like how, if, if this is how I'm portraying myself, I, I don't like the sound of this at all. So I just, I made a, made a pledge to myself to just cut it out um, and, and be happy with what I got, not to be judging people over the fence or saying anything negative about anyone who got elsewhere. Um, and serendipitously but who knows how much karma had a role to play in it um i then went on to have my best year ever you know within the game and and then lockdown hit a year later and or sort of seven months later and and then everything else took off so there's there was there's something in that for me anyway um whether you believe in fate or whatever it might be called but i just thought actually trying to be sounder of of mind and 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 not not be toxic to what other people are doing but just focus on focus on like a good coach would say in a rugby game control the controllables um 
and just try and you know focus on what what you can do positively um and that in turn has meant you know i know that you you know you're a, you're a great champion for a lot of a lot of mental health stuff bruce and, and i think it's fantastic and um and there is there is no there's no limit on the amount of times happiness uh can 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 need to be sort of shared um and suggested almost um and i think I think that side of things is is really important um and i and i think therefore it's yeah i think for me it's just about trying trying to do the right thing and hoping that if you do that then then it kind of comes back to you in the right way i love it and it's so simple and and i, I totally agree if you if you can enjoy the moment you're in then the next moment will come and i don't i'm not sure i believe in the karma and fate but i think you you put good stuff out because that's the right thing to do and then it'll come back and if someone else gets an opportunity, well, well done to them, but yours, yours will come. Nick, I absolutely love it. I've taken up so much of your time. I could go on and on and on. There's so many threads to take. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, I've loved welcome. talking to you. So to finish off, can you finish the sentence for me? And I am intrigued as to where this is going. <laughs> Nick, Nick Heath, for you, happiness is? Happiness is... Uh... Probably seeing my sister's Labrador Spike, who gives me the biggest welcome and cuddle every time I see him, because when he was a puppy, we did puppy training. And so it's like we're old friends. We went through something together. So uh, I think probably, um, yeah, uh, uh, a cuddle a cuddle with, a, with an over-affectionate Labrador is probably right up there. Um, and then maybe beyond that, uh, a pint of Guinness by a roaring fire in a pub with, uh, with a decent game of rugby on is, is a pretty close second. That sounds pretty spectacular. And being the owner of a overloving Labrador, yes, I get it. I get it. Me and me and Maggie spend a lot of time together. Yeah, right. Nick Heath, uh, you're an absolute star. I really hope that we can speak again and meet again at some point in some stadium somewhere, and maybe share one of those pints of Guinness you've already mentioned. I will drink to that. Thank you. Having thanks for having me, Bruce. It's been great. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved it. All the best, Nick. Cheers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, another man who can talk, but so much positivity, so many stories. I hope that we get to meet again in the future and some pretty sound messages to be taken on there. So keep listening to him. He's all over the place. You can catch Nick Heath on social media. I certainly do. And he makes you smile. And that's one of the good things. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can get us on Apple, Acast and Spotify. You can also watch the video on Facebook and YouTube. Tell your friends, subscribe, leave us a review if you've enjoyed it. Remember, if you've got nothing nice to say, then, then don't bother. Just tell us if you've enjoyed it and hopefully you'll be back for many, many more. And there's a chance that you might be able to see the pod happen in person. More details for that on social media and all over the show. My name is Bruce Aitchison and my happiness is egg-shaped. I look forward to speaking to you all again soon. Drum roll, please for the biggest announcement in recent times for Happiness is Egg-Shaped. That's right, we are going live. Where? London Village at the world-famous Cabbage Patch Pub for one night only on Friday the 30th of July. Join me for a live Happiness is podcast with special guests. You'll get all the information on the link below about tickets and there is a pint of London pride with every ticket. I'll see you there. I am very, very excited because happiness is egg-shaped on tour! Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and 
Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. No, it's not. It's not about this last night. And he said happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.